0: Welcome to the In His Image podcast, a series from Christian Concern with me, Paul Huxley and Ben John. We'll be looking at questions raised by the book In His Image by Stephen McCoy and seeing from the Bible how God's design for humanity is good news for individuals and society. In this episode,
1: we're going to be considering the effects of the fall, building on what we discussed last time at the temptations of the fall. Paul,
0: Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life.
1: So now you might want to pause and consider what are some of the effects of the fall you see here and how we are seeing them today in society. So I think here what you see a variety of different ways and and God issues a series of um, declarative statements and curses um, Adam, Eve and the serpent. And we see this in, in various different ways. Well, firstly, we notice how after Adam and Eve have taken the fruit, they are become aware of their own nakedness. And God highlights this in, in showing this clearly They would have eat, they had eaten from the fruit of the tree. And this shame of their nakedness and their sin is so common today in the world. Ever since the fall, man has been uh, man and woman have been ashamed of our own sin, ashamed of our own nakedness. We, we, we see it all the time and this is why there's always a pursuit of a form of atonement and salvation because we have a deep sense of guilt within us. The world is craving forgiveness because we know deep down that we need forgiveness and so uh, within that, that, that burden, that shame we're seeing more and more and more today as we move further away from God's ways and, and away from an understanding of his grace and his forgiveness. In fact, we already see signs of God's grace um, so lovingly at the end of the passage here when, when God um, uh, takes the animal to make clothing for Adam and Eve. And that's really part of the gospel, isn't it? that though we have our sin and our shame because of who we are as sinners, God clothes us um, by sacrifice in his son, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's interesting that that shame about their nakedness comes before God has these declarative statements about how the the world's now fallen. Um, It's the absolute natural instinct. Of Adam and Eve as sinners to do this. Um, they don't need telling. It is, it is how they immediately feel uh, that they need to hide and cover up. Um and and again, we see we see this twisted in all kinds of ways in um in society as um as some people through the sexual revolution have said, our bodies are nothing to be ashamed of, and we need to flaunt them and we can we can be at peace with our bodies and And show them off to people, and that's liberating. Um, uh, So once, and even you get, there are even Christian naturist movements which try to say, look, we need to we need to go back to this Edenic uh, pre-fall existence of being naked, and it just misses out the fact that no, we we have fallen. We're now not in a in a state where we can do that, and we need to be clothed by Jesus, both by God. Not try and um, not trying and either flaunt um, what we have, nor um, try to create our own fig leaves to cover up. It's
1: interesting there because you're highlighting this current trend, which really shows the significance of what we're going through as a culture of shamelessness. That actually, oh, the shameful acts that we do, the shameful things we do, we don't need to be secretive about. We don't need to hide about. We're going to celebrate them and, and promote them and do them in front of you. Um, is, is really quite surprising, and it shows that we're, maybe perhaps we're at an end-stage culture. Interestingly, it sort of reminds me of Psalm 139, where we, we, we read of God sort of seeing everything and looking at us always. And I think part of it is as we reject the knowledge that we are in God's presence at all time. You know, oftentimes when someone's sinning on their own for whatever reason, you know, a pornography or something like that, it's their lie that actually no one can see what I'm doing, when in fact, God is there, seeing what you're doing right now. And if we knew that, we would really feel, you know, when someone stares at you, you feel exposed. You know, someone in public just is looking at you, you feel exposed. And that's really how we ought to always feel, with, apart from the grace of God, and apart from that mercy of Jesus Christ, and being covered
0: by him. So then let's move on to what God says in terms of his, his statements about how the world is now changing. Um, you see these curses um, on first the serpent um, and the woman and the man um, with reasons given for them. Uh, what, what strikes you there, Ben? Well, it's
1: interesting because here is,
0: I think is it
1: what theologians call the proto-evangelion, the first um, Declaration of the Gospel, where the seed of the woman crushes the 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 head of the uh, seed of the snake, who pierces the the heel of the seed of the woman, um, and you know that's really pointing towards Christ defeating Satan, defeating death, defeating the powers of darkness at the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions, um, but also I do think at the same time this is talking about a a, a, a sort of covenantal enmity that there exists between the church and the world. In a sense, we're all, as the church, the seed of the woman, and we, and all those outside of the church are, in some sense, a seed of um, the serpent. You know, we're either in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. We're either a child of God or a child of Satan. And so, we've got to realise that there's this enmity between the church and the world. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean we're um, being combative and we're going to war and fighting all these kinds of things, but we do need to realise that it is a very real spiritual battle.
0: Another thing that strikes me across this, all of these curses is the reality that it's not just a spiritual change in... Um, in mankind's relationship with god or uh, with the serpent but it changes natural things about our world the serpent now is crawling on his belly i mean presumably he had legs before um or or had some other way of moving about um for the woman childbearing becomes painful um for the for the man you've got the thorns and thistles coming up out of the out of the ground there's some it definitely points to some physical changes about the world, and with that, then we can think about: okay, so we're made perfectly in God's image, Genesis one, um, and we're declared very good. Everything that's God's made is is very good, and yet now, because of our sin and giving in to temptation, then the world has somehow changed, and so we start potentially seeing the effects of that even in ourselves as. Um, as, well, our bodies decay, but also our bodies may have things wrong with them. And that, of course, speaks into some of the issues with transgenderism. We need to be careful as Christians about going straight back to Genesis 1 and 2 and God's design without ever thinking about how the fall affects how our bodies and how physical reality is now. Yes,
1: certainly. I mean, that there's a difference between the fact that, uh, yes, our desires are fallen and, you know, it's because of the fall that we have this tendency to sin and to desire sinful things and to um, oh, not worship God, but also there's that physical curse that's the natural fall in the sense that the way that our bodies are fallen, we do get diseases, we do, um, uh, our bodies do fail, you know, we die. Um, These are all uh, consequences of the fall. And we do as absolutely, as you say, uh, Paul, need to be able to take in and respond to those um, considerations when people raise these objections in society.
0: So another thing that's uh, raised there uh, in those verses is this tension and aggro between men and women um, that's that's baked into this passage. You've got um, verse 16 your desire to say, speaking to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now that's translated different ways in different translations and, and people who understand Hebrew have lots of uh, discussions over exactly what that phrase means. But there's certainly the sense that there is now a tension in the relationship between man and woman where, um, where the man may end up ruling over the woman in a relationship in a despotic and um, and wrong way abusing his normally larger size and strength etc and we've seen what some would call toxic masculinity over the centuries where that where men have abused women in all kinds of ways and yet to the woman there is this desire to be um, to be over an intention with the husband and and you say usurp his role and to, to dominate over the husband as well. Um and that's gonna lead to this tension that was never intended for the marriage, um, relationship. And now, because of the fall, we're both sin sinners in this relationship, and there is going to be a battle of of power in some way or another.
1: And I think that's something that we've seen throughout history. Um, I think we we can quite clearly understand that there are this tension, there, there are these problems, and um, God willing, as we conform ourselves to Christ and his ways, um, we can grow and and move away from those kinds of difficulties. You did mention the thorns and the thistles, in, in the way God curses the ground, and I think we see, we see that in the sense that in the way that work is difficult today. I think for many, many Christians, they don't realize that God actually does care about their work that it is pleasing service to the lord that all that we do we, we don't we don't have this we shouldn't have this sacred secular divide where real ministry is just working in a church but actually all that we do is pleasing to the lord but i think because of this um the curse that's been on the ground that the toil is hard it's made it so much harder to see that you know when, when we go to work sometimes it can feel like a you know a chore when we go to work it can feel draining at times and but we need to realize that actually work is part was part of the creation as well we we haven't discussed this before but actually adam had work to do before the fall he had work to do in the garden to tend it to keep it uh, to protect it uh, to work it uh, that's what he was called to do and there will be work in the new creation but at the moment our work has been um, hurt and harmed because of the fall, that it becomes uh, something which we sometimes don't delight in, of course well, all our delight is in the law, but we don't see our work as service to the Lord, and I think that part of that comes from the fall
0: I was just reflecting on on that in Genesis. here in Genesis three, the man's going to work the ground, and I think of digging up weeds and how much fun that is, which is not at all, and that it can really um hurt your back you're bending down you're pulling stuff up it's hard physical labor and yet before the fall i mean what kind of work was adam going to do was he going to um prune a bush you know, take take a few fruits off shape that lovely that lovely plant or bush to to look beautiful was that the kind of work he was going to do because um, from the little gardening that i do i know that that's a lot more fun than um than pulling out weeds and dealing with those So let's move on to um, our other question today, which is to think about how we as Christians share the vision for how we live together in society um, with non Christians. Is it loving to ask non Christians to behave as if they are? Is it reasonable to expect non Christians to live in line with God's design? Or should we just? acknowledge that the fall has happened and we're not going to live like that anymore unless we've been transformed by Jesus and given the power of the Holy Spirit. What are your thoughts on that, Ben?
1: Well, I think this objection is normally applied inconsistently. Um so of course we would never expect a non we wouldn't we wouldn't you know, we're not saying non-Christians have to pretend to be Christians, but we only apply the question of should Christians live uh should non-Christians live according to God's standards. Um, only when it applies to controversial issues. We wouldn't apply it to any other issues and we see this throughout history that there's been times where Christians have worked to change laws or change norms and customs uh, to be more in line with God's with God's will. Christians wouldn't say no we shouldn't campaign against female genital mutilation because um, we shouldn't impose our culture on them and uh, you know we should just convert them to Christianity or when uh, missionaries in India for example were um, campaigning against the the practice of uh, I think' it's sati uh, where widows used to be burned alive with their dead husbands um, you know we're called to isn't Jeremiah it says seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile because in their welfare in its welfare you will find your welfare so we're called to speak justice and truth um, to love mercy seek justice and walk humbly with God
0: we Called to proclaim that across all of society, because, like we said in the first um, podcast, we're all made in God's image, and therefore, first of all, we all deserve certain types of protection, and that we're called to protect the image of God in mankind. We see that particularly in Genesis nine, which we're not looking at in this series, but we see, um, we see God putting a very high price on. Value of mankind and less of a price on animals, but also where someone might do damage to themselves by living out of line with God's design, then we know no, God is wise. He made us in certain ways. And even if our sin only was against ourselves, even if we were only doing things that hurt ourselves, it's just not loving to be. To be pretending that that's okay obviously we want people to find the life giving power of jesus and that's by far the most important thing and yet telling people that god's design is good is helpful for our evangelism because it shows the wisdom of god in all things um, and it, it sh- we shouldn't think of these things as intention with one another
1: not at all. And, and we need to realize the way that culture forms and shapes the plausibility structures for our own evangelism. Should we have said to William Wilberforce, he wasted his time and he should have done more evangelism. Now, Wilberforce was involved in a lot of different initiatives, but we would we would all agree that it's absurd. Um, and so we need to we need to totally realize that. And I think one of the criticisms objections we often hear is, oh, it's, it's legalistic to say um, non-Christians need to live according to these standards. Um, and as you said, we're not saying that anyone is saved uh, by the law. That's it, No one would ever, well, God willing, Christians would never say that. Um, and we know that we aren't saved by the law as Christians. We're saved by Christ alone and him crucified. And so it's not about us saying we're trying to save non-Christians through the back door. It's really just about what, how, what is fullness of life look like that is in Christ, but also in his ways. And so we point people towards the standard that we're called to do. We, we, would we say, oh, it doesn't matter whether we have laws against rape, because oh, we're, we're mostly a non-Christian country, we, we don't really care about any of these kinds of things. We've we got to realize that laws do shape culture, laws do shape behaviors, laws do shape norms. And we're not called uh, to lawlessness or to anarchy. And I think we need to really understand that that relationship um, as we speak to people's lives. Do we just never advise anyone on anything? Do we just only ever do evangelism? Um, I think if we apply these things or take them to their logical conclusions, we would realise the absurdity of it.
0: And I think that's something we're going to look at Um in our next episode in fact, Um, so let's move on to that. Next time we'll be looking at the need for moral foundations and we're going to be looking at the ethical basis for society. So I hope you join us then. Do make sure that you have a copy of the book and you're reading along. I'm sure you'll get lots more insight as you read through uh, Stephen McCoy's book in his image. So do uh, buy your copy, you can get it on Amazon, on Kindle or um, on paperback. Um, and you can get it through the Wilberforce Publications website as well.
1: Please do send us through your comments and questions. We'd love to hear from you and engage with all that you're uh, thinking and wrestling with as you come on this journey with us. Uh, you can write a comment or send us an email at info at and we'd love to hear from you as we continue uh, wrestling with these questions.
0: Thanks for listening.